Chapter 13, The Strange Dog. Nick Brown had said that New York horse buyers were in the neighborhood, so every night father gave the four-year-old colts a special careful grooming. The, four-year-old, the four-year-olds were already perfectly broken, and Almanzo wanted so much to help groom them that father let him. But he was allowed to go into the stalls only when father was there. Carefully, Almanzo curry-combed and brushed their shining brown sides and their smooth round haunches and slender legs. Then he rubbed them down with clean cloths. He combed and braided their black manes and their long black tails. With a little brush, he oiled their curved hooves till they shone black as mother's polished stove. He was never careful to move. He was careful never to move suddenly and startle them. He talked to them while he worked in a gentle, low voice. The colts nibbled his sleeve with their lips and nuzzled at his pockets for the apples he brought them. They arched their necks when he rubbed their velvety noses and their soft eyes shone. Amanzo knew that in the whole world there was nothing so beautiful, so fascinating as beautiful horses. When he thought that it would be years and years before he could have a colt, teach and take care of. He could hardly bear it. One evening, the horse buyer came riding into the barnyard. He was a strange horse buyer. Father had never seen him before. He was dressed in city clothes of machine-made cloth, and he tapped his shining tall boots with a little red whip. His black eyes were close to his thin nose. His black beard was trimmed into a point and the ends of his mustache were waxed and twisted. He looked very strange, standing in the barnyard and thoughtfully twisting one end of his mustache into sharper points. Father let out the colts. They were perfectly matched Morgans, exactly the same size, the same shape, and the same bright brown all over, with the same white stars on their foreheads. They arched their necks and picked up their little feet daintily. Four years old in May, sound in wind and limb, not a blemish on them, father said. Broken to drive double or single, they're high-spirited, full of ginger, and gentle as kittens. A lady can drive them. Almanzo listened. He was excited, but he remembered carefully everything that father and and the horse buyer said. Someday he would be trading horses himself. The buyer felt the colt's legs. He opened their mouths and looked at their teeth. Father had nothing to fear from that. He had told the truth about the colt's age. Then the buyer stood back and watched while father took each colt on a long rope and made it walk, trot, and gallop in a circle around him. Look at that action, father said. Shining black manes and tails rippled in the air. Brown lights flowed over their smooth bodies. Their delicate feet seemed hardly to touch the ground. Round and round they went like a tune. The buyer looked. He tried to find fault, but he couldn't. The colts stood still, and father waited. Finally, the the buyer offered him $175 apiece. Father said he couldn't take less than $225. 
Almanzo knew he said that because he wanted 200. Nick Brown had told him that horse buyers were paying that much. Then Father hitched the colts, hitched both colts to the buggy. He and the buyer climbed in, and away they went down the road. The colts' heads were high, their noses stretched out, their manes and tails blew in the wind of their speed, and their flashing legs moved all together, as though the colts were one colt. The buggy was gone out of sight in a moment. Almanzo knew that he must go on with the chores. He went into the barn and took the pitchfork. Then he put it down and came out to watch for the colt's return. When they came back, father and the buyer had not agreed on the price. Father tugged at his beard, and the buyer tugged, twisted his mustache. The buyer talked about the expense of taking the colts to New York, and about the low prices there. He had to think of his profit. The best he could offer was one seventy-five. Father said, I'll split the difference. Two hundred dollars, and that's my last price. The buyer thought and answered, I don't see my way clear to pay that. All right, Father said, no hard feelings, and we'll be glad to have you stay for supper. He began to unhitch the colts. The buyer said, Over by Saranac, they're selling better horses than these for $175. Father didn't answer. He unhitched the colts and led them toward their stalls. Then the buyer said, All right, two hundred it is. I'll lose money by it, but here you are. He took a fat wallet out of his pocket and gave Father two hundred to bind the bargain. Bring them to town tomorrow and get the rest. The colts were sold at Father's price. The buyer would not stay to supper. He rode away and Father took the money to Mother in the kitchen. Mother exclaimed, You mean to say that we must keep all that money in the house overnight? It's too late to take it to the bank, Father said. We're safe enough. Nobody but us knows the money's here. I declare, I shan't sleep a wink. The Lord will take care of us, Father said. The Lord helps them that helps themselves, Mother replied. I wish to goodness that money was safe in the bank. It was already past chore time. Almanzo had to hurry to the barn with the milk pails. If cows are not milked at exactly the right time, night and morning, they will not give so much milk. Then there were the mangers and the stalls to clean and all the stock to feed. It was almost eight o'clock before everything was done, and Mother was keeping supper warm. Supper time was not as cheerful as usual. There was a dark, heavy feeling about the money. Mother had hidden it in the pantry. Then she hid it in the linen closet. After supper, she began setting the sponge for tomorrow's baking and worrying again about the money. Her hands flew. The bread sponge made a little plopping sound under her spoon, and she was saying, It don't seem as though anybody would think to look between the sheets in the closet, but I declare I... What's that? They all jumped. They held their breaths and listened. Something or somebody is prowling round this house, Mother breathed. All you could see when you looked at the windows was blackness outside. Pshaw, twa'n't nothing, Father said. I tell you, I heard something. I didn't, Father said. Royale, said Mother, you go look. 
Rial opened the kitchen door and peered into the dark. After a minute, he said, it's nothing but a stray dog. Drive it away, said Mother. Rial went out and drove it away. Alonzo wished he had a dog, but a little dog digs up the garden and chases hens and sucks eggs, and a big dog may kill sheep. Mother always said there was stock enough on the place without a dirty dog. She set away the bread sponge. Almanzo washed his feet. He had to wash his feet every night when he went barefoot. He was washing them when they all heard a stealthy sound on the back porch. Mother's eyes were big. Royale said, it's only that dog. He opened the door. At first they saw nothing and mother's eyes got bigger. Then they saw a big, thin dog cringing away in the shadows. His ribs showed under his fur. Oh, mother, the poor dog, Alice cried. Please, mother, can't I give him just a little bit to eat? Goodness, child, yes, mother said. You can drive him away in the morning, Royale. Alice set out a pan of food for the dog. He dared not come near it while the door was open. But when Almanzo shut the door, they heard him chewing. Mother tried to try the door twice to make sure that it was locked. The dark came into the kitchen when they left it with the candles. And the dark looked in through the dining room windows. Mother locked both dining room doors and she even went into the parlor and tried the parlor door, although it was always kept locked. Almanzo lay in bed a long time, listening and staring at the dark. But at last he fell asleep and he did not know what happened in the night till mother told it next morning. She had put the money under father's socks in the bureau drawer, but after she went to bed, she got up again and put it under her pillow. She did not think she would sleep at all, but she must have, because in the, in the night, something woke her. She sat bolt upright in bed. Father was sound asleep. The moon was shining, and she could see the lilac bush in the yard. Everything was still. The clock struck eleven. Then mother's blood ran cold. She heard a low, savage growl. She got out of bed and went to the window. The strange dog stood under it, bristling and showing his teeth. He acted as though somebody was in the woodlot. Mother stood listening and looking. It was dark under the trees, and she could not see anyone but the dog growled savagely at the darkness. Mother watched. She heard the clock strike midnight, and after a long time, it struck one o'clock. The dog walked up and down by the picket fence, growling. At last he lay down, but he kept his head up and his ears pricked, listening. Mother went softly back to bed. At dawn, the dog was gone, they looked for him, but they could not find him anywhere. But his tracks were in the yard, and on the other side of the fence, in the woodlot, father found the tracks of two men's boots. He hitched up at once before breakfast, and tied the colts behind the buggy, and drove to Malone. He put the two hundred dollars in the bank. He delivered the colts to the horse buyer, and got the other two hundred, and put that in the bank too. When he came back, he told mother, 
You were right. I came near being robbed last night. A farmer near Malone had sold a team the week before and kept the money in his house. That night, robbers broke into his room while he was asleep. They tied up his wife and children, and they beat him almost to death to make him tell where the money was hidden. They took the money and got away. The sheriff was looking for them. I wouldn't be surprised if that horse buyer had a hand in it, father said. Who else knew we had money in the house? But it couldn't be proved. I made inquiry, and he was at the hotel in Malone last night. Mother said she would always believe that Providence had sent the strange dog to watch over them. Amonzo thought perhaps he stayed because Alice fed him. Perhaps he was sent to try us, Mother said. Maybe the Lord was merciful to us because we were merciful to him. They never saw the strange dog again. Perhaps he was a poor lost dog, and the food that Alice gave him made him strong enough to find his way home again. Chapter 14, Sheep Shearing. Now the meadows and pastures were velvety with thick grass, and the weather was warm. It was time to shear the sheep. On a sunny morning, Pierre and Louis went with Almanzo into the pasture, and they drove the sheep down to the washing pens. The long pen ran from the grassy pasture into the clear, deep water of Trout River. It had two gates opening into the pasture, and between the gates, a short fence ran to the water's edge. Pierre and Louis kept the flock from running away, while Almanzo took hold of a woolly sheep and pushed it through one gate. In the pen, Father and Lazy John caught hold of it. Then Almanzo pushed another one through, and Royale and French Joe caught it. The other sheep stared and bleated, and the two sheep struggled and kicked and yelled. But the men rubbed their wool full of brown, soft soap and dragged them into the deep water. There the sheep had to swim. The men stood waist-deep in the swift water and held on to the sheep and scrubbed them well. All the dirt came out of their wool and floated downstream with the soap suds. When the other sheep saw this, every one of them cried, Bah! Bah! And they all tried to run away. But Almanzo and Pierre and Louis ran yelling around the flock and brought it back against, again to the gate. As soon as the sheep was clean, the men made it swim around the end of the dividing fence, and they boosted it up the bank into the outer side of the pen. The poor sheep came out bleeding and dripping wet, but the sun soon dried it fluffy and white. As fast as the men let go of one sheep, Almanzo pushed another into the pen and they caught it and soaked it and dragged it into the river. Washing sheep was fun for everybody but the sheep. The men splashed and shouted and laughed in the water, and the boys ran and shouted in the pasture. The sun was warm on their backs, and the grass was cool under bare feet, and all their laughter was small in the wide, pleasant stillness of the green fields and the meadows. One sheep butted John. He sat down in the river, and the water went over his head. Joe shouted, if you, had, if you had soap in your wool, John, you'd be ready for shearing. When evening came, all the sheep were washed, clean and fluffy white, 
They scattered up the slope, nibbling the grass, and the pasture looked like a snowball bush in bloom. The next morning, John came before breakfast, and Father hurried Almanzo from the table. He took a wedge of apple pie and went out to the pasture, smelling the clover and eating the spicy apples and flaky crust in big mouthfuls. He licked his fingers, and then he rounded up the sheep and drove them across the dewy grass into the sheepfold in the south barn. Father had cleaned the sheepfold and built a platform across one end of it. He and Lazy John each caught a sheep, set it up on the platform, and began cutting off its wool with long shears. The thick white mat of wool peeled back all in one piece, and the sheep was left in bare pink skin. With the last snick of the shears, the whole fleece fell on the platform, and the naked sheep jumped off it, yelling, Bah! All the other sheep yelled back at the sight, but already Father and John were shearing two more. Royale rolled the fleece tightly and tied it with twine, and Almanzo carried it upstairs and laid it on the loft floor. He ran upstairs and down as fast as he could, but another fleece was always ready for him. Father and Lazy John were good sheep shearers. Their long shears snipped through the thick wool like lightning. They cut close to the sheep, but they never cut its pink skin. This was hard to do, because Father's sheep were prized merinos. Merinos have the finest wool, but their skin lies in deep wrinkles, and it is hard to get all the wool without cutting them. Almanzo was working fast, running upstairs with the fleeces. They were so heavy that he could carry only one at a time. He didn't mean to idle, but when he saw the tabby barn cat hurrying past with a mouse, he knew that she was taking it to her new kittens. He ran after her, and far up under the eaves of the big barn, he found the little nest in, in the hay with four kittens in it. The tabby cat curled herself around them, loudly purring, and the black slits in her eyes widened and narrowed and widened again. The kittens' tiny pink mouths uttered tiny meows. Their naked little paws had wee white claws, and their eyes were shut. When Almanzo came back to the sheepfold, six fleeces were waiting, and Father spoke to him sternly. Son, he said, see to it that you keep up with us after this. Yes, Father, Almanzo answered, hurrying. But he heard Lazy John say, he can't do it. We'll be through before he is. Then Father laughed and said, that's so, John, he can't keep up with us. Almanzo made up his mind that he would show them. If he hurried fast enough, he could keep up. Before noon, he had caught up with Royale and had to wait while a fleece was tied. So he said, you see, I can keep up with you. Oh, no, you can't, said John. We'll beat you. We'll be through before you are. Wait and see. Then they all laughed at Almanzo. While they were laughing, they heard the dinner horn. Father and John finished the sheep they were shearing and went to the house. Royale tied the last fleece, left it, and left it. And Almanzo still had to carry it upstairs. Now he understood what they meant, but he thought, I won't let them beat me. He found a short rope and tied it around the neck of a sheep that wasn't sheared. He led the sheep to the stairs, and then step by step he tugged and boosted her upwards. She bleated all the way, but he got her into the loft. He tied her near the fleeces and gave her some hay to keep her quiet. Then he went to dinner. 
All that afternoon, Lazy John and Royale kept telling him to hurry or they'd beat him. Almanzo answered, No, you won't. I can keep up with you. Then they laughed at him. He snatched up every fleece as soon as Royale tied it and hurried upstairs and ran down again. They laughed to see him hurrying, and they kept saying, Oh, no, you won't beat us. We'll be through first. Just before chore time, Father and John raced to shear the last two sheep. Father beat. Almanzo ran with the fleece and was back before the last one was ready. Royale tied it, and then he said, We're all through. Almanzo, we beat you. We beat you. Royale and John burst into a great roar of laughter, and even Father laughed. Then Almanzo said, No, you haven't beat me. I've got a fleece upstairs that you haven't sheared yet. They stopped laughing, surprised. At that very minute, the sheep in the loft, hearing all the other sheep let out into pasture, cried, bah! Almanzo shouted, There's the fleece. I've got it upstairs, and you haven't sheared it. I beat you. I beat you. John and Royale looked so funny that he couldn't stop laughing. Father roared with laughter. The joke's on you, John, Father shouted. He laughs best who laughs last. Read the next chapter.